is the Business of Reselling podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Oman. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of the Business of Reselling podcast. I have to admit, I'm a little tired. Uh, We had our small but rowdy Super Bowl party that we have most years, and uh, this one was particularly rowdy, and today I'm very sleepy, but that's okay. I'm still excited to do this episode for you, wherein I will be answering a listener question about researching things that either you know nothing about, can't find comps for, or just don't know where to begin. Um, So I'm going to be broaching that topic. Uh, Before I get into it, February sales so far have been, I'm not going to say slow, I'm going to say kind of status quo. We had a banner January. I was really happy with how January went. But I'm not surprised that February has dropped down to kind of this so-so level, basically the same as last February. We just finished clearing out an estate, and that's done now. Most of the better items from that estate have been listed. A lot of them have sold. Um, Our daily sourcing opportunity has been a a bit slower than it was uh, a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, when you're not bringing in lots of really hot, fresh inventory all the time, things kind of get a little bit stagnant. So that's where we're at. And it's nothing to panic about. As well, Super Bowl weekend, I find every single year sales are pretty bad. So if we're looking at like the immediate um, last few days, you know, it's really no surprise that sales have been slow. I'm pretty optimistic um, that we're going to get some great stuff coming down the pipeline. We do need another estate clear out. And we don't have one on the books right now. So we're looking for that. Uh, maybe you are local to the Vancouver area and you know of something. Um, you know, just put the bug in your ear. Anyway, uh, let's get to the listener question of the week. This one is uh, a couple months old and I've been kind of having it on the list to to do. And I have a few items. I've been researching a lot of art and stuff like that lately. And art is something, you know, we. I, I'm not an art expert. I actually do have a minor in studio art, uh, which was part of my first undergraduate degree, but uh, that didn't necessarily teach me anything about art or art history, not significant amounts anyway. And so I'm not an art expert and have been trying to research the value and historical significance of a lot of limited edition prints and etchings um, that were in this last collection. And it's been kind of fun and interesting. you know, but also a bit frustrating because sometimes you just can't read a signature. You can't figure out the artist. So anyway, it got me thinking about this listener question or a couple of questions that I'd had a few weeks ago. And I thought this is a good episode to talk about that. So these uh, questions were about pricing and researching items that you either know, know very little about, or you can't find comparable sold values for. So I'm going to walk you through a few things that you can try. Uh, Some tools that you can use, I'll tell you the very simple and free tools that I use, mostly free, and what to do when you're just completely flummoxed and you don't have a clue on how to move forward. Because the last thing we want are those death piles of potentially valuable items to get bigger and bigger and bigger and take over our space. 
Um, you still have to move forward and figure out what to do with those things. However, I still have some mystery items that I've never been able to identify or price. Uh, and maybe you can help me with those. And I was thinking a follow-up YouTube video to this would be really fun where I can actually show you some photos of those items. And maybe there's someone out there listening to this podcast who can offer some insight. Um, so I will be sharing some of the things that have really frustrated us over the years in a video episode that'll be kind of a follow-up to this. So make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel so you can get that. YouTube.com slash at Storage Warrior Podcast. Okay, question one from our listener was, do we do all of our research online? Um, in comparison to shows like Storage Wars and Antiques Roadshow, you know, where people bring in an item and then they, they learn all about it from an expert, um, pretty much we do do all of our research online. Um, yeah, the shows have experts that people bring things to. It, they're fortunately set up by the networks, um, you know, so people can have these connections. But realistically, every time I found something I didn't know anything about, I would not have time to drive all over the city to ask expert after expert their opinions. Plus, I don't want to waste an individual's time one-on-one -on -one like that. If I can glean information from the collective minds of like a Facebook group or something, I'm okay with that. But I don't feel comfortable going in and asking somebody who's an expert on something to give me like 20, 30 minutes of their time for, for no compensation. And you can imagine if I was compensating experts, that would get really expensive really fast. So Yes, we do focus most of our research online. Uh, once in a while, somebody happens to visit our warehouse. Maybe they're going to pick something up or they come to a yard sale and we find out that they know a lot about something that we don't or something that we kind of have in the back that we've been wondering about for a while. And they've helped us, which is awesome. For example, we got some paintball stuff and it was pretty high-end paintball stuff. I forget where we got it, but I know it was free. Anyway, we tried to do some research, couldn't exactly figure out the model of these things or how old they were, didn't know how to test them because neither of us have ever played paintball. I would never play paintball. Anyway, so I put them up for some amount of money. And fortunately, this fellow contacted us who knew a lot about paintball. And he was really kind. He was serious about purchasing it. He came in and gave us a whole bunch of great information about paintball stuff that's going to help us the next time we find it because there's going to be a next time. Like, you know, we will get more of that kind of stuff. And in exchange, he gets a great deal. You know, we gave him a great deal on the items. He knew he was getting a great deal, but he gave us a whole bunch of information we didn't have and really didn't know how to get. Um, so in that sense... I was really happy to get a little one-on-one -on -one time with this person. And in exchange, they got a great deal on the paintball stuff. And I know that we sold it for like way under market, but there was so much value in what we learned that it didn't matter. So when we get lucky enough to hook up with an expert like that, it's usually an accident. I don't seek people like that out. Um, so I do start online. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at it all over at whatever this item is. And I'm going to look for, you know, if it's something more modern, I'm looking for like model numbers, branding, obviously. If it's like an art piece or something like that, I'm looking for a signature, a maker's mark, any text on the piece that can give me some clue as to who made it or where it came from or how old it might be. So 
whatever writing is on any piece, I'm using Google and eBay, and I'll usually do this kind of at the same time and just toggle between to try and see if I can find the same item or similar items. Uh, if that doesn't work, I think about this item and I think, how would I describe it to somebody who didn't know what it was or somebody who couldn't see it? Um, and then I think of the type of keywords that I would use to describe it and I start typing those into Google and then trying to narrow down my search. And then sometimes I learn about, you know, something will come up that's really similar and I'll learn that there's actually a term for that. Like, oh, just today I was listing these, this little teeny tiny little porcelain Victorian doll, like one inch high. And I thought, is there a name for these? And I actually Google lens her and found out that this is called a frozen Charlotte. And I saw that all over these Google Lens results. And I, then I start searching Frozen Charlotte and boom, I find all kinds of things that look like my little doll. Um, so that often works for me. So I tried these keywords and then, of course, Google Lens, which is absolutely the most incredible research tool at a reseller's disposal, in my opinion. It's getting amazingly good at identifying things that I didn't think it could and even things that it couldn't do a year or two three years ago that it didn't find, the technology has improved so much that it'll find them now. So sometimes if it's an item I don't really need to sell right away, which is most things, I can set it aside and a few months later, pick it up again, try Google Lens again, and I'll probably get some different results because the tool is always evolving. And it, it always surprises me how good Google Lens is at finding things. Um, even very limited edition artist prints, we had we had a, a couple from this abstract artist. I forget the name now, uh, but they were limited editions out of like 70 or 75. So pretty limited prints, not a lot of them available. And I went on Google Lens thinking like, has one of the other 74 of these things ever appeared online and had, and I was able to identify the artist right away. I mean, it's just amazing. So anything you don't know about Google Lens is one of your first tools and also using keywords and phrases that you would use to describe the item to somebody who couldn't see it can be really helpful um, for you to find similar items on the internet. Because if you don't know what the item is and you're trying to describe it, there's a good chance that somebody else was once doing that same research. So you're often able to find things that way. Now, if eBay doesn't have enough sold comps for me to be confident about either the demand for my particular item or the price, I should sell it for, then I go to WorthPoint. So WorthPoint's not a free tool. I think we pay $20 a month or $22, something like that. And I'm on WorthPoint pretty much every single day, verifying, looking at historical pricing on a particular item. And what I really like about WorthPoint is how far back it goes. I mean, it goes back, I don't know, 15 years or more. And so if you have an item that, you know, has been selling consistently over time, like certain comic books, for example, or certain toys. And then you look at the historical price results on WorthPoint, you can see pricing trends. So you can see like times in history where that item has sold for higher prices and then, and then dropped again. Um, so I find that really interesting to kind of see that sort of timeline. So just because something sold for a certain amount in 2007 or 2014 doesn't mean I'm going to get that kind of money today. And it can give me a sense of whether the overall value of that item is going up or down. Now, a lot of sellers use Terapeak, which is now available for free on eBay. Um, it's a good tool. A lot of people like it. 
personally, uh, I don't use it. Um, we don't sell. I find Terapeak is like best for things that have a barcode, like a UPC. And you can search that specific item and look at price trends over time. I mean, it it's not accurate when it, it's like, let's say we were trying to research like a, a specific Barbie doll, like a TNT Barbie, like a 1967 Barbie. And it would give you a whole bunch of results for that. But they don't necessarily reflect to the condition of the item. And so I don't feel like I'm getting good results um, on things that are more one of a kind or things where condition really makes a big difference to value. So some people love Terapeak, but I will personally say that I never use it. I prefer WorkPoint for the reasons that I just described. Now, another way that I can gain information about something is through Facebook groups. And I use Facebook groups a lot to find out from experts or self-proclaimed experts um, what things are. And I, I, don't, I don't ask about worth and value. It, you know, to me, price is the easiest thing to figure out. It's like if you don't know what something is, you can never price it. So it's more important to find out what it is. Uh, so I'm in like a rock and stone identification group where it's like, I found something made out of green stone. Like, what kind of stone could it be? You know, I can get some in- opinions there. Um, we get a lot of Chinese and Japanese um, items, and some of them are quite old. Um, and I love, I'm in four or five different Chinese and or Japanese art and ceramics and pottery identification groups that have an amazing wealth of knowledge. They can help me read uh, maker's marks, give me ideas of how old an item is, whether it's authentic or a reproduction. Um, and I find that they're really good for that. You know, there's all kinds of other, I mean, you can join a group for pretty much anything like, you know, baskets, sterling silver jewelry, like whatever it is, if you want to know about it, you can probably get some information there. Like last year, I knew literally nothing about Barbie dolls and then spent $12,000 on Barbie dolls. And you can bet that I joined three or four different doll identification groups to help me figure out the Barbies. And these groups are great. People are often happy to share their knowledge. And as I learn things, I also try to go back into those groups and and share what I've learned when people who know less than me have questions, because I think that's a fair exchange, right? I'm not just going into these groups to just get everything I can for free and then walk away. Um, you know, if I happen to be in a group asking a question, I'll often scroll through five or 10 other posts just to see if I can give any anyone else a tip or a little piece of advice. You know, I think that reciprocity is important. So those Facebook groups for collectors and identification are amazing. I mean, they're worth, their value is so incredibly high and you should use them, but, um, you know, just try to try to reciprocate when you can and as you learn about particular categories of items. So the thing about social media, though, as I think most of us know, is that sometimes people just spout off and they don't exactly give off like strong credibility vibes. You know what I mean? So, you know, somebody will, you might ask a question about how old something is and then somebody will just put the word fake or modern you know, and you're like, okay, well, who are you? I I don't know if I can take that information at face value. But um, if several people comment with similar information or similar answers, that starts to give me an idea and a little bit more confidence that the information they're giving me is accurate because multiple people are agreeing. You know, this happened a few years ago 
we found a Chinese pot. And I think it was supposed to be lidded, but it didn't have the lid. And this was in somebody's garden of a house that was about to be demolished. And we were told that we could have it. So we took it. And there was something about the feel and the form of this piece that just made us go, this is not like a 1970s, 1980s piece. Like it just really felt old. But of course, I don't know anything, so I had to verify. And I went in one of these pottery groups and asked for an opinion on it. And right away, somebody said, that's, you know, 16th century, late 16th century. And I'm like, no, come on, can't be that old. That's crazy. It was just out in somebody's garden. And nope, three or four other people after that commented the same thing, gave me a little bit more information. And so the collective opinion of the group was, yeah, this is probably a 16th century piece, maybe early 17th century. And because... I have a good sense, like I can, you know, you can kind of tell when something's really, really old, even if you don't know, necessarily know anything about it. Um, there's an aesthetic, there's a weight um, to things that are really old. So I knew it was old. And this this group, many multiple people in the group agreed that it was old and they all came up with pretty much the same assessment. And so I did put it up on eBay. Now I only got $400 for that base. I bet it was worth more. I, it could have been worth thousands. I don't know. But the fact is, I'm not an expert in Chinese pottery. I'm not selling it as an expert in Chinese pottery. So I'm not going to be the person who's going to extract the full value of that piece ever. Like, I'm just not. And I've sold tons of items like that, that I know I'm underselling, but I'm not the person. I'm not the expert. I'm not the person putting it in the setting where I'm able to maximize the value. Some things I can, yeah. Comic books, I can get I can get top dollar for comic books. I can get top dollar for certain kinds of collectibles. Other things I can't. And you're the same as a reseller. Um, so just know that if you leave if you leave meat on the bone, sometimes you really had no choice in the matter. Like you're not Sulpies, you're not Christie's auctions, you know, you have to put an item in the right environment to get the most money out of it. Uh, anyway, I digress a little bit, but uh, that's what I use the Facebook groups for, and I find that they're fantastic. And so I recommend that when you find an item that's in a category that you don't know much about, join some of those groups, ask questions, follow the rules, read the files, and make sure that you're posting things correctly. Don't just throw up a photo and say, what's it worth? Because it's just the rudest thing you can do. Demonstrate that you've attempted your own research. Tell people what you know about it. Give them information. Help them help you. That's the best way to use those groups. Now, occasionally I'll ask a friend um, or another reseller if I know they're knowledgeable in a particular category to give me a little bit of direction. And when I can, I will try to give back and help them out in a similar way. So those are my tools, Google Lens, Facebook groups, eBay solds, and WorthPoint. Those are my greatest assets when it comes to research. Now, what if the research I do turns out not to be accurate? Right now, I'm trying to sell a vintage Kurahara BMX. And for months, I had it up listed as a laser light model. It's not. I did a bunch of research. I was really sure it was laser light, but I don't know a lot about BMX. And I had a couple of people be really snarky with me. Oh, it's not a laser light. Your bike is worthless, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, like I'll take that with a grain of salt, but I'll take it. You know, I'll take that feedback. And over a few months, I had eventually five or six different people reach out to me and give me enough information to make me confident I was wrong. It's not a laser light. It's a different model. Still not sure which one. 
but I was able to change and update my ad. And sometimes I'll say in my listing, I'll post an item and I'll say, look, I'm not sure if I'm right. I'm not sure if I have the right information about this item. And I do invite people to educate me. And occasionally they do. Some do it with grace and others with sarcasm. And of course, I'm not going to listen to just any stranger who just tells me something. But if they seem credible and I'm able to verify what they say through another source like Google or something like that, then of course, I'm going to update my listing or my pricing. So that's kind of the long answer to the first question of whether we do all of our research online. Yes, we mostly do. And that's how. Um, and then uh, question two of that was, what if an item seems to be valuable, but you're thinking eBay is maybe not the best platform to sell it? So that kind of goes back to what I just said about putting things in the right setting and the right place to maximize their value. A good example of that would be uh, two art prints that we have, and I researched them, and I found this artist seemed to be it's a 20, 20th century Chinese-French uh, abstract artist named Zhao Wu Qi, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, turns out this painter's pieces are really worth a fortune. Um, in fact, in I think it was 2018, the largest work that this artist ever created fetched around 60 million U.S. dollars at an auction, which was the most for any Asian artist ever, I think, something like that. Anyway, I should link in the show notes if you're curious about it. Anyway, these are not originals. So just to be clear, these are limited etchings, but they are signed by the artist. So they are highly desirable. You can imagine if this person's uh, original pieces sell in millions of dollars that the limited prints and etchings are still going to have value. And so I reached out to a local auction house and I said, are you interested in these? And they said, yes. And that really excited me because I've reached out to this same auction house a few times in the past when I thought I had something cool and they always disappoint me. And this time they were excited and said, yes, we, we want we want these pieces. So those are going to go for auction um, soon. And uh, we'll, you know, they're they're multiple four-figure items. You know, they're cool. But do you think I could post that for four or $5,000 on eBay and get that out of it? Absolutely not. But the auction house that specializes in fine art and has their clientele and their audience and the people who they know are looking for these pieces absolutely can. So even though they're going to take their cut and it's a significant cut, it's still I'm netting more than I ever possibly could trying to sell it on my own. So... If you think eBay is not the right platform, um, you may not even be the right seller. You may not even be the right person to sell this thing. So that could mean flipping it to somebody who can get more. Oh, there was just in um, in the boss group, there was somebody who just, who realized that they had sold a Kansas City Chiefs sweatshirt to a boutique in Toronto that had sold that same sweatshirt to Taylor Swift, who was seen wearing it at the Chiefs game. Um a few weeks ago. So that that's another example of that. Like, you know, she had the shirt, did not have a connection to Taylor Swift, but the person who bought it from her did. Um, and so, you know, she was never going to be able to maximize the value of it. Probably not. I mean, it would just be a needle in a haystack situation. This boutique clearly caters to celebrities um, and was able to, you know, flip it. Who, who knows what, what they sold it for, but you know, they they had the right venue, they had the right connection, and, you know, were able to get that thing on TV. Um, 
on one of the biggest pop stars in the entire world. So I'm okay with that. Sometimes I try selling things on eBay that I feel like maybe I have no business selling them. And like I have one right now. It's a Salvador Dali artist signed um, artist proof. And I'm confident that it's legitimate because of what I know about the estate where we got it. But I also know that Dali signature and pieces are highly faked. And so it's totally possible that I will never be able to sell this piece because I personally can't, like, I can't guarantee without a shadow of a doubt that it's not fake. But I, I'm sure it's not fake because of everything else that came in this estate and what I know about the person who originally purchased it and all that. But, you know, that's just me telling a story to to a potential buyer. And if they don't want to believe my story, that they're never going to buy it. And so I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to sell this artist proof. I think it's worth five or $6,000, but maybe not from me. So that's one that we'll have to wait and see what happens. So if after all that, I'm still completely baffled, honestly, this has happened a whole bunch of times. We have like a boneyard of items that we think may be special, but we can't really figure out. Um, I'll describe a couple of them to you and then I'll bring them into my next video. So the first one is these heavy sterling silver like medieval jewelry pieces. There's seven pieces and I think together they weigh like 1.7 kilograms or something. Like they're incredibly heavy, thick, brutalist, like crazy and made of solid sterling, which is insane. Like just to have this much solid sterling in a piece this size. You'll see in the video, they are so cool. Some of them are marked with like a Roman marking on them. But there's no way that they're tourist pieces because like, a, you know, a, a, a street jewelry vendor just wouldn't be selling like a 400 gram sterling silver bracelet with like spikes and Byzantine coins pressed in like you just wouldn't see that. So we can't figure these pieces out. We can't figure out how old they are. We can't figure out who made them. And uh, so they just kind of, you know, they sit over there. They're waiting for, I don't know, some expert I'm going to find someday who can help me. Uh, I have another piece. Um, <clears throat> you've probably never heard of this Flemish artist named Jan Bruegel the Elder. So Jan Bruegel the Elder lived in um, the late 1500s and early 1600s, did lots of still life paintings. And one of his paintings we have, it's like an impress impression of the painting in glass. And then it's lined with with a filigree lead frame looks the same on both sides um i can't figure this thing out i can't figure out where the print how they would have made the print like where they would have got the original piece to get this image this sort of transfer image out of it like i just have no idea i think it's special but like i can't i don't know how to explain how this piece ended up looking just like this. Um, so that's another interesting one. Then we also have this piece of uh, what I think is Italian art glass. It's not just your typical Murano. I think it's special because of where 
it came from. It came in this wooden box that we got in a storage locker like 10 years ago that had two other Italian sculptures, porcelain sculptures in them, one of which we sold for $2,500, which was not enough. It was a Tinkerbell sculpture. It was like the first ever Disney commissioned Tinkerbell piece. Anyway, it is incredibly rare. We sold it early on in our reselling careers for $2,500. I'm sure it was worth four times that much. I don't want to think about it ever. If you were to Google Lenchi, L-E-N-C-I, Lenchi Tinkerbell, you'd probably find an image of her on the internet and it would be the exact same one that we had. <laughs> it's that rare. Anyway, we have this piece of Italian art glass that came in the same box as that. And then the other piece that is in the box is also worth several hundred dollars, but unfortunately it's got a little broken piece. Um, anyway, there's something about the form of it, the detail, the way that it's made. It just looks so special to me, but I haven't been able to figure out why. So those are some of the things I'd like to share in a video. Um, and, you know, so if I'm still totally baffled, sometimes I just keep an item, wait, see if Google Lens evolves to the point where I can get more information about it more than I could before. Um, you know, and the thing is, is you don't have to sell everything right away either. Uh, we also have some neat pieces, like another thing we got from the storage locker was a photo album. Uh, from this missionary family that did missions over to China and Japan in the late 1800s and very early 1900s. And this photo album contains all kinds of interesting landscape images, kind of some of your typical tourist stuff, uh, pictures of scenes in Japan. There's pictures of geishas like behind bars, which is a little weird. Um, anyway, but most of it is pretty innocuous. And then there's one page that's just like crucifixions and beheadings. Like it is just what? What is this doing in the middle of this album? Anyway, the album is 125 years old. And that's another one that we have set aside because we're like, yeah, I can kind of figure out what this is. But like value? How? How could I possibly put a value on something like that? So anyway, um, so we keep those things around. They're, you know, party tricks, show and tell, that kind of thing. Um, and then eventually we may turn around and sell them. Or if I find the right person, I can ask about these things and I will. Um, now. If there is a lot of an item available, so I am able to figure out what it is, but I can't figure out the value because maybe mine is a slightly different edition or has a condition issues that the comps don't, um, or if there's very, very few uh, listings for this particular item, then I'll just auction it. You know, it's hard to determine what are really good items for auctions. And I think a lot of people try to auction stuff that should not be auctioned. Um, but if you hit the right item, you can do really well in an auction. One of my favorite auctions we ever did ever was uh, we had a pair of Oakley over-the-top sunglasses. Google that if you don't know what they are. But they're literally like Oakley made these sunglasses you'd put on. And instead of going around the side of your head, they would literally go over the top. They're hideous. And we picked up a pair of these and a lot of stuff that we bought from somebody. And we auctioned those off. And I remember, I think they sold for four or 500 bucks or something. But we were like, it was a really exciting auction with dozens of bids. Um, we also had a Chatty Cathy doll, which was a Canadian edition from the 1960s. It was an early one. Um, uh, we figured out that she was rare. It's easy to find a Chatty Cathy, but I couldn't find this one. So I thought this is a good one to auction. And uh, she sold for $1,000, which uh, at the time was the highest auction result for any Chatty Cathy doll that I could find anywhere on the Internet. So it's like we broke the record maybe or something. I don't know. Anyway, so auctions can be good. Um, if you if you think there's going to be a lot of hype and you have something particularly rare, 
you know, try and auction it, but always start your auction at a price that you'd be happy with if it only sold for one bid. Don't do those 99 cent auctions. Those are just recipe for disappointment. So that's kind of how we get around research. Um, You know, we've been doing this for uh, 14 years now. And, you know, we are experts in some things, but there's a lot of categories where we just kind of know a little bit of surface information and we really need help to get further. You know, this, this game is kind of a mile wide and an inch deep. You, you know, a little bit about all kinds of things, um, but not necessarily enough to maximize value every time. So you have to access these resources to do it. You can never learn all of it on your own. So those are my ideas. I hope uh, I hope our listener um, hears this and I can say thank you for asking those questions. And I really had fun talking about the answers. It kind of woke me up. I'm feeling a little less tired now. Uh, so anyway, video coming up where I'll show you some of those mystery items. And I hope you're looking forward to seeing that. Otherwise, there'll be another podcast coming up in just two weeks. Bye. <laughs>